Hello, everyone. I just want to talk before this episode really begins and apologize for the audio. I recorded this entire episode with my mic not properly attached. So unfortunately, the entire 48 minutes was recorded using my MacBook uh, input. So the audio quality is not as great, but I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 45th episode, the Jeff Gordon episode, and I'm here ahead of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And this episode will preview the race this weekend. Um, But first, why the Jeff Gordon episode? Some of you may have never even heard of him, but some of you may well know him uh, as a uh, one of the world-class NASCAR drivers. So just this past Monday, um, I learned about the passing of my grandmother, uh, or my Oma, I should say. And uh, she was a fan of NASCAR, and her absolute favorite driver was Jeff Gordon. So this episode is dedicated to her. I've also decided to retire my traditional intro where, you know, I pick a driver uh, that, that had this number on their car last, like the number of the episode, um, so my loyal listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you're new, that will be no longer, it gets pretty dicey from here on out. I'm just glad I got to Lewis Hamilton. So that, that'll be it, but maybe I'll bring back some notable ones. Like, uh, I don't know, I guess you'll, you'll have to see. Um, let's just say I will not be doing the, the Will Stevens reserve driver episode for, for episode 46. Uh, let's just, yeah, we'll, we'll end it there. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the the primary reason for this episode is still definitely about the upcoming Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So let's talk about Jeddah. All right. So uh, I always start usually, I mean, I guess it's one of my first real preview episodes because my Bahrain preview was uh, with a guest. But by myself, I usually start with storylines heading into the weekend. Um, but before the serious stuff, I just want to congratulate, you know, former Ferrari team principal, Jean Tot. Uh, he celebrated his with his wife, Michelle Yeoh. He, she just won an Oscar for the best supporting actress or or no, she was she won best actress um, on Sunday. So congratulations to Jean Tot and to Michelle Yeoh. Um, big congratulations winning an Oscar. I mean, everything everywhere all at once, I believe was what the movie was called. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's amazing and it absolutely cleaned up, but anyway, back to F1. And I guess let's talk about Ferrari. What is going on in Marinello? Um, I wrote down everything that I've seen on Twitter. And of course, Twitter can't always be a reliable source, but when you hear this many rumors, especially from pro Ferrari accounts, things are looking a little concerning. Okay. So just bear with me. So, multiple personnel have already left the team. This has been known before the Bahrain Grand Prix, but everything else I'm about to say has happened since the Bahrain Grand Prix. So, that is just over a week ago. Laurent Mekis is uh, is a is an engineer there. He has held the title of racing director for the team. There's been rumors of his dismissal and the fact that he wants out. His contract's up at the end of the year. There's rumors that Alpine is uh, is 
uh, recruiting him. He is French, of course, so that does make sense. Also, Enrico Cardiel, I hope I'm saying that right. He's head of the chassis department. The exact same concerns with him. He might be on his way out. Same thing. His contract is up at the end of this year. Reports have also suggested that the new team principal, Frederick Vasseur, is already fed up with the pecking order at Ferrari. Um, basically, reports have come out that CEO uh, Benedetto Vigna, he has been pulling all the strings behind the scenes, has been giving Fred, basically keeping Fred on a leash, giving him no say, and he's not really able to make the changes that the team needs because he is simply being thrusted uh, into this role as just a messenger. So all of this nonsense going on behind the scenes also has prompted Charles Leclerc to uh, arrange a meeting with President John Elkin, um, basically to understand what the hell is going on. This is the team that I'm supposed to be with um, for, for years into the future, and so much dysfunction going on already. Guys, we built a great car to start these regs. It seems like we're going backwards. Now, everything behind the scenes seems to be falling apart. What the hell is going on, essentially? Um, so I don't have any answers as to what um, is going to happen or you know what really did happen, because at the end of the day, they're all rumors. But to hear all of this happen within a week after, I guess, what was a disappointing start to the 2023 campaign, considering how far ahead Red Bull looks, um, this doesn't bode well for Ferrari. And like I said, last last episode the the reliability of ferrari was what i spoke about when it came to the uh, overreaction versus traction segment but just in terms of the whole ferrari project i could have talked about that as well and this just is not looking good i mean the the positive for ferrari is they don't have any immediate competitor i think Aston martin and merck are still a decent ways off. I expected Mercedes to jump them this year. I was clearly wrong. And they're a whole nother can of worms that I will get into in a second. Um, so I guess I just really wanted to highlight everything that's going on behind the scenes. Cause if you're not um, a hardcore fan, that's following um, off day stuff, kind of just between the weeks F1 news, and you're more so just tuning in for the races. There's a lot of stuff going on with Ferrari. So you might want to, you might want to know that, I guess. Um, just for all that to happen since Bahrain is just insane. Um, but now the main team that I really want to talk about is of course my team, the Silver Arrows, Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team. I can say it better than Lewis Hamilton. Uh, that's for sure. Cause every single year he seems to mess it up, but they actually released a letter to their fans. And again, this is something that some of you may have seen. Some of you may have seen that they released a letter and didn't bother to read it. Well, you're about to listen to it because I'm about to read it to any of you who haven't read it yourselves. If you did read it, then I guess you can skip ahead because it is a little bit long. Um, but trust me, if you haven't heard it, you're going to want to hear this because it's not every day that an F1 team just releases a public letter, basically apologizing to their fans and asking for their support. So here we go. I will now be reading Mercedes statement to all our fans Bahrain hurt. It hurt each and every one of us who head into every season determined to fight for world championships. It hurt the team as a whole after pouring so much hard work into a car that hasn't met our expectations. And we know it hurt you, our fans too. 
Your passion and support are so important in driving us forward, and we know that we feel the same pain. The situation we face right now isn't the one that any of us wanted, but it's the one we have. That's the reality of it. And the simple questions are, what can we do about it, and what will we do about it? First, we won't panic or make knee-jerk reactions. In a spotlight as fierce as F1, people are quick to point fingers or look for scapegoats. But you know us better than that. Inside the team, we talk about having the courage to fail, the character to be accountable, and the strength to see failure as an opportunity. We have been open and searingly honest about where we find ourselves, and we are working urgently and calmly to build our recovery plan focusing on what needs to happen short-term, medium-term, and long-term to win. We already have developments in the pipeline for the next races, and there will be more to come. But this won't be the work of a moment. There are no silver bullets in F1. Second, we will keep our heads held high and take this journey step-by-step together. We are Mercedes. We know the standards we aspire to, and nobody is flinching when we look at the mountain we must climb. It won't be easy, but where's the value in something easy? These are the times when character is forged, the times when a team becomes greater than the sum of its parts, tackling difficult problems and conquering them. We're together through thick and thin, from Toto, Lewis and George, to every single woman and man in the factories in Brackley and Bricksworth, and we love that challenge. Third, we will be calling on each one of you, too, to power us to the front, Whether you're offering criticism or support, there's a right way to do it, and a wrong way. We want our online community to be a safe space full of healthy debate where people treat others and are treated with respect, be they team members, Mercedes fans, or rival fans. We have a zero-tolerance policy on discrimination, abuse, or bullying of any kind, and we will take appropriate action to any comments or posts that do not meet our guidelines, and we want your support to make that a reality throughout our community. We, we're already uh, hard at work on changing the course of this 2023 season. The recovery began immediately after the race, and everybody has a part to play. Are you ready to join us for the fight back? If not, then there are no hard feelings. If yes, then let's do this. Now, that is a lot to take in, but my my main takeaway is just simply that that was a well thought out message. And a team that just released, you know, maybe like a one page social media apology, that is not the same as what I just read. That is a team that has to be feeling really down and really feel like they effed up. And it just kind of blows me away that Mercedes has come to this, knowing the dominant team that they once were, having to just really think about how they're going to apologize to the to their fans for the direction that they've gone with this car and the, the efforts that they have put in. Clearly, they are. They have been an extremely hardworking team. There's just obviously something that they're missing, whether it be in their wind tunnel, their simulations, or something, because they even said themselves that they tried other concepts in the wind tunnel, and there seemed like the best way to go. And I think also people get confused because when they think of the car concept, they visually look at it and they're like, "Okay, Mercedes looks way different than the rest of the cars." 
it is definitely not just what's going on on their body. They have to be doing something underneath as well, because that is where the majority of the performance comes with, uh, from with these uh, new generation of cars. They're missing something, and I'm not sure they know what it is because they thought that once they got rid of the porpoising, they'd be able to uh, develop from a much better platform. And right away after one race, they saw how far they were behind because this is another thing that I don't think a lot of people realize. Mercedes is a lot quicker than last year. It's just that everyone else, including a team like Aston Martin, who is a customer team, was able to go to a different concept and develop quicker than them. And Mercedes seemed like, you know, they have the facilities and the team. They were developing well last year, learning about their car. They should have been able to make the biggest step, and they didn't. They made a step, but not as big as some of the teams around them, including Red Bull, who already was way ahead. So that's where Mercedes is in terms of the of the statement I guess there was more when they mentioned that they they started you know looking at themselves right after the Bahrain race I guess I'll get into the Mike Elliott ultimatum there's rumors that the chief technical officer Mike Elliott who has been around the team for a long time um, I believe James Allison was the I, I can't remember who was who I'm pretty sure Eric Blandin was the aerodynamicist and then Allison was technical officer and then Mike Elliott still held a high um, technical rank, if you will. Then Allison moved on to a part-time role and Elliott kind of stepped into that full-time chief technical officer. But this is not a guy who has been, you know, put in this role and has failed immediately. He has been successful for a long time and they have given him an ultimatum. Hey, if you're, if you want to stick with this concept and bring upgrades to the next race, they better work or else we're going to have to look elsewhere because, you know, at the end of the day, the buck stopped with him in terms of uh, staying with this concept. And he said at the car launch, it doesn't make sense for us to start from scratch. We have a solid platform. It makes more sense to learn um, from the concept that we have instead of, you know, taking a couple steps backwards to, to move forwards. So if if that's the decision that he went with, there has to be some consequences, I guess. Um, the Lewis Hamilton comments were also quite alarming. He said, basically, I don't have his exact quote. I maybe should have wrote that down as well. But because they, they were pretty interesting comments, basically saying, I told him exactly what the car needed and what the car didn't need last year. I've driven a bunch of cars in my career and they didn't listen to me. It's all about accountability, accountability, accountability. That is not a typical uh, statement that you would hear from Lewis Hamilton. Is usually very positive about the team. Yeah, you'll hear sometimes during races him being like, I'm really struggling, or this car is difficult to drive, or whatever, over the past couple of years. But in terms of like when he's not in the car, he usually has like, let's keep fighting, you know, those type of typical Lewis Hamilton comments. So... I, it's hard for me in a cost cap era when there's only really this year is already lost um, based off of what everyone is saying, even Mercedes themselves. Then there's only 2024 and 2025 left before we kind of get into another set of regulations with the new engines. Mercedes is really on the back foot here. And even if they make a quick change and it, and it does them wonders, they are still pretty far behind on development and, you know, all the other teams who switched to the Red Bull concept earlier have learned a lot more about their car. 
Mercedes will be kind of starting from the back in terms of that, even though they might start with a better platform than the other teams did. It's just they have a mountain to climb, and I know I'm stealing an exact quote from them, um, but it's just it's it's true. They if they start if they if they go back to what everyone else is doing, you know, they start behind them or they commit to this and try to figure it out. It's just that I think they've lost confidence in their concept already. So they are in just an absolutely tricky spot. And I didn't even realize the full extent of this when I talked in my uh, uh, about them in my Bahrain review. I think I said that uh, saying Aston Martin is going to beat Mercedes would be an overreaction. I think I'm safe to stand by that. Um, just because it still is one race, and that was kind of the main thing I was harping on, is just let's, you know, Bahrain's a, a specific track. Let's relax a little bit, see what what happens over the next few races. But it also depends on where Mercedes takes this car, because if they do just scrap everything and start from a new platform, then they might actually get slower. You never know. So that's, I guess, all I will say on Mercedes. Let's talk a little bit about the Jeddah Corniche circuit, actually getting to preview this weekend instead of just getting into these two top teams who are just seeing a lot of, of problems, whether it be dysfunction or just uh, looking themselves in the mirror. I, I don't even know what to call it for Mercedes, to be honest. But the Jeddah Corniche circuit, very, very unique track. I believe it has the most turns, either that or Singapore. Just an absolute ton of corners. The only difference is Singapore is a much slower speed circuit where this is super high speed. You get super close to the walls. It is it is just a wild track. There is really no other way to describe it. Jeddah is the most insane, like high adrenaline circuit on this on this calendar. It just has to be. Um, Monaco, maybe you do get a little bit closer to the barriers and you know that uh just more problem areas, if you will, but Jetta at the high speeds you're going and how close you're getting to the walls, that has to get the driver's adrenaline just absolutely pumping. Um, but something that we've seen at this circuit a lot, actually, uh, in the, well, I, there's only been two races here, but in those two races are the DRS games because the track is so flat out, except for the first sector. That is a very tricky driver demanding uh, sector. The other two is if you're able to stay in DRS range, you can ride three straight DRS straights basically to the back of another car. And the DRS on the final straight seems to be the powerful one. Leclerc and Verstappen took it to a whole nother level um, because we obviously saw it with Lewis and, and Max as well in 2021 when they were playing those silly games with themselves. And that's ultimately what ended up to that ridiculous slow speed collision. Um, but with Leclerc and Verstappen last year, that was insane. Just them slowing down to almost a stop to make sure that they got the DRS and, and Max eventually finally, um, timed it perfectly to catch up to Leclerc right to get the DRS and then finally blow past him on the straight. Um, but those DRS games, I know I talked about it quite a bit last year is should they get rid of one of the DRS zones or after the two first two races last year, people were talking about getting rid of DRS altogether. And I think the rest of the season proved that we still definitely do need DRS, especially at tracks like 
I don't know, Zanfort, uh, Barcelona, those, those tracks definitely still need DRS um, because it's pretty hard to pass anywhere but the main straight and the main straight it's, it's difficult to pass on as it is with the IRS still. So we definitely still need it. Um, of course, in 2022, Max Verstappen was the winner. In 2021, it was Lewis Hamilton. So will we see a new winner? I'm not so sure. Um, I think if we go straight into my predictions, it would be pretty crazy not to choose Max Verstappen at this point. Him paired with that RB19 is just dangerous. But for pole position, though, I think Ferrari is still a good qualifying car, and they could be a bit more of a challenge here than they were in Bahrain. Um, last year, Bahrain may have been more, a little bit more suited to them, but because they have just stripped all the drag off of that car, it cost them a bit of downforce. You know, Ferrari's one of its worst characteristics is also its tire drag, and this is a power-hungry circuit where the tires don't really get ripped to shreds. Like it's just tire drag is not as much of a factor in Jetta. So you put those two characteristics together and the Scuderia should be, you know, much more competitive this, this weekend. They also said that their issues with pace last race were setup related. I'm not so sure about that because the gap was really big. You must've got the setup really wrong um to, to to be that much slower than red bull so we'll see hopefully this this track just doesn't suit red bull as much it suits ferrari a little bit more and maybe ferrari can get their car working in a better window and we see a closer fight so because i'm saying all these things and i'm probably going to be picking mac verstappen a ton this year i'll take Charles leclerc for pole but in the race i think that I have to take Max Verstappen to take the win. He probably does exactly what he does did last year. He learned from those shenanigans. He's going to ride up to the back of Leclerc, overtake him, and likely get the gap that he needs in the first sector with the just absolutely on-rails Red Bull mixed with, of course, the ridiculous quick hands of Max Verstappen through that sector that we saw in the 2021 lap that wasn't to be. Um, just incredible through there. Um, he probably gets the gap to, to Leclerc there and just drives off into the distance. At least that's what I'm expecting. Um, but I think Checo could maybe, you know, I think Checo and Leclerc could be a legit battle at this race. I'm hoping that's the case. I don't want it to just be a one-two for Red Bull every every weekend. So I'm going to say Charles picks up a P2, bounces back a little bit from last race. He should be hungry after retiring from the first race of the season. But Checo will take P3. I don't think anyone else is there. Signs didn't give me a whole lot of confidence last race. But if he's a little bit more competitive here too, I also wouldn't be surprised. But I still rate Charles over Carlos. So I'll take Charles P2. Signs may be close, but I'm going to take Checo with, with the P3 there. Um, but my bold prediction is that Alex Albon will score points again. And my reasoning is basically for the same the same reason as, as Ferrari. I think the Williams has able to, was able to uh, keep their strength from last year of being a low drag car. They still lack downforce, but they also had massive problems with balance and tire dag. It's just a tricky car to drive. Now the car looks better balanced. Tire dag's not as much of a factor. And they're still a high-speed car. I think Williams 
is going to be in place at the, on the right, uh, on the right tracks to score some points this year. Alex is a fantastic driver with, I think everyone talks about how quick his hands are. I think it's more so in the sense of like saving a car when, um, it oversteers, but still Alex is a supremely talented driver and it's a bold prediction after all. If, uh, if it was expected to happen, it wouldn't be bold, right? So Alex Albon scoring points is my bold prediction. So I usually would move on to the silly season segment from last year. Um, I don't remember even what else I did for previews. I think I always just did preview and silly season, but it's a little bit early to be talking about silly season already. So I made up a new segment that I think I'm going to come up with new themes for every single time we kind of have a segment that we need to fill. I have some other ideas, but I think this one could be fun. So let me explain to you the three word game. Okay. So the three word game is a brand new segment that I'm introducing this year. Um, I feel like this first preview uh, episode is the f- is the perfect time to introduce it. So basically, I'm going to choose a category. In this case, it's going to be circuits. Um, it could be drivers in the future. It could be teams. And basically, I'm going to describe what the whatever the category is. I'm going to go through all of them and I'm describe them in three words. So I've chosen circuits because I feel like it could be maybe better to do like a mid-season review using the three-word game when it comes to the drivers and teams performance circuits. We just had Bahrain, of course, but how we kind of feel about these circuits doesn't necessarily change massively from year to year. So it's the perfect category to start off with um, to start a season. So I'm going to go in order of the 2023 calendar. I'm not going to be talking about, you know, Turkey or, or Hockenheim or anything like that. We're just going to go through the 2023 calendar. I'm going to talk about each one in three words and maybe give a brief explanation as to why I chose these three words. See if you guys agree with me. I think it could be a little bit of fun. So the Bahrain uh, International Circuit, I think that's what it's called. Maybe I should have wrote out, I just wrote out Bahrain, Jeddah, Melbourne. I should have maybe actually wrote out the full circuits, but whatever. Um, Bahrain, my favorite opener. And this one might be controversial because I know people loved Australia as the opener. Um, we'll get to Melbourne in a second, but I think Bahrain is is a great track. The whole Middle East thing, I get people's concern, but of the Middle Eastern circuits, this one clears the other ones. I think the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix was dull for sure, but we've had some some great races here in the past, and it is a great circuit to race at yes we didn't see a whole lot of that in in 2023 however that move in the in the turn 10 by alonso is exactly what i mean when we can just see some really fantastic racing going on here of course turn one turn two complex with max verstappen and charles leclerc last year was fantastic um nico rosberg and lewis hamilton in 2014 i mean if you haven't seen that watch those highlights it is incredible um and that's not all i i think george russell's move on on valtteri bottas sure that was the other the other layout where they did like literally a hundred laps in that grand prix it was kind of a weird race layout but still his move through that section over on valtteri was absolutely beautiful 
Um, it's a fun one to race on in the F1 game too. I, I really like Bahrain, so I'm cool with it being the opener. And, you know, I, I don't mind getting some Middle Eastern races out of the way to start the season. So my favorite opener is Bahrain. Jeddah. Now, what I was just talking about earlier, uh, and the reason I said that I'd get into it in a moment, because my three words for Jeddah, danger is imminent. And that's not just because of the high speeds in the close walls. In qualifying, it is absolutely insane. The cars just trembling around slowly in sector three when cars are just flat out. And on a narrow track, it is just one of these days, if F1 isn't very, very careful, one of these days we are going to have an airplane crash there and it is going to be just absolutely horrific. So I'm hoping that the drivers and um, the FIA and I guess the marshals are really, really careful when it comes to this track because, like I said, danger is imminent. And this just it has to be one of the highest adrenaline circuits. I don't know if I've heard a driver quote that specifically, but it does seem like for the most part, the drivers do say it's fun to drive. And I think that's because it just provides a new challenge for them. Um, now, I guess the next one is Melbourne. And my three words for it are glad it's back. So, like I said, it actually wouldn't be my choice to open the season. If it was, I wouldn't be upset. It's not like a certain other race that takes place at a certain other time of the calendar that you will see me talk about in a, in a bit. Um, I, I chose glad it's back just because we had a few years off. Um, we had 2019 where Valtteri Bottas actually had kind of a dominant opening win to the season. Then we didn't have it for 2020 or 2021. So seeing it back in 2022 was fantastic. It's back again this year. It's just a really fun weekend. Ricardo is gone, but Piastri is in. And the Australian fans are just delightful. And it's it's a beautiful track, um, is Melbourne. So, like I said, I'm just glad it's back. It's very fun. Is it my favorite for racing? No. But it, I think it's similar to Canada. And, of course, I'm, I'm biased when it comes to Canada. That people just love the atmosphere that it provides. And it's just it's nice looking. And it's decent. It's not that the racing so bad that it ruins the weekend, right? So, I'll leave it at that. Um, Baku. I feel like people are like, this track's kind of whack, or it's one of their favorites, and that's exactly why I chose hit or miss. We have had some of the best races of all time at Baku. Maybe that's a bit of a hot take, and going a little bit far with that, but like, if you look at 2017, that was phenomenal. 2021 was amazing. We have had some great, 2018 was even really good, um, but then when you look at 2019 and, and last year, they were dull, dull as hell. So I don't know what it is, whether it's just the circumstances um, that because it is kind of a high danger circuit as well. Just the fact that it's a street circuit and it's pretty high speed, especially on that huge long straight. Um, so I don't know what it is about it and why the characteristics of that track just make it so hit or miss. But I don't I can't think of another track in the calendar that is that is as hit or miss as Baku. Now, Miami, we've only had one race here, um, so I'm saying give it time. People hated Miami. I heard some people say that it was the worst race last year um, or it's the worst track in the calendar, and it's like, holy moly, guys, we've only raced here one year, 
and you're already saying it's the worst track on the calendar. They're getting better asphalt because that was a major problem last year. And yeah, the racing wasn't great there, but we've had dull races on some of the best tracks. So we need a few years of this track to really be able to say, okay, it just doesn't provide for racing, especially when last year the drivers didn't want to go off of the racing line because of the, of uh, the tarmac was so bad. So once that issue is resolved, racing could improve there. It's still a cool weekend. I know some people don't love, love all the theatrics that it had, but maybe with Las Vegas coming in, it'll overshadow the hype of Miami and Miami can just kind of settle in and be a nice uh, race weekend. So give it some time. We will see how it pans out in a few years. Don't, don't jump the gun calling it the worst in F1. Um, now Imola, some people who love a traditional circuit might like Imola, but it's not for me. I think there's two tracks that immediately come to mind. If we're replacing them for a new circuit, say, you know, I know we, people really want Hockenheim back. People would love for uh, Kailami or Hareth or something to come back. Um, Imola would be one or if not the next one out for me. We have two and we already have Monza. Monza's definitely way better than Imola. It's just not really built for the modern race car. Last year's race really proved it. Like, especially in the wet, no one could do anything except for on the main straight. And even then, it was just a DRS train. It was dull. I don't see it getting any better. Somehow, Emla 2021 did produce a decent race. But I feel like that was just because cars were out of order. And cars out of order usually always bodes well for a fun Grand Prix. So, Emla's not for me. Um, those who like it, I get it. It can be... It's kind of a cool track. It's got some history, but I'm not excited for when Imola rolls around, to be honest. Monaco. I, this one actually took the most thought of what am I going to call this race? And I went with no longer untouchable. I thought about, you know, something like getting too old or Saturdays over Sundays or something like that. But I think what really encapsulates Monaco is the fact that it was the cherry on top of the cake in terms of the calendar. Monaco was, you know, it's the triple crown. It's part of the triple crown uh, of motorsport. And it is arguably one of the dullest races now um, of the entire calendar. But Monaco is Monaco. So it remains a special weekend. All the drivers still really badly want to win a Monaco Grand Prix. And I mean, I get it because at the end of the day, it still is one of the most prestigious uh, races on the calendar. It's a lot of the drivers' home races. No, they're not racing under that flag. It's not their home country, but a bunch of them live there. So no matter what, it's going to be a special weekend in F1. But it's no longer untouchable because of just how much backlash it's receiving and how unsuitable it is for the huge F1 cars that we have now. Yes, Saturday, it's probably the best Saturday on the grid. I am okay with keeping it because, you know, it's still the Triple Crown of Motorsport, which no one even really tries to get anymore, but that's besides the point. Um, And it's just different. I know I I quote Tomo every time because I think he said it best. uh, It's a YouTuber on F1 YouTuber. Um, 
he says Monaco provides just a completely different experience for the teams. You know, their their pit stops and strategy matter so much, and it's all about Saturday, really. And then Sunday is just a manage, which, of course, isn't exciting. But for the teams, it's just a brand new challenge, and it is a world championship. So seeing just a completely different challenge for the teams, I get it. It's just he put it really well, and I kind of agree with him there. So Monaco, I might like it more than some other people but it is certainly no longer untouchable. Now, Barcelona, not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because I'm just calling it just plain mid. There's a reason why it's testing track. It provides every single type of corner, and it also provides no exciting type of corner. It is just, well, actually, I guess this brings up a perfect uh, uh, opportunity to talk about the fact that they got rid of the final chicane. So my hopes are up for the Spanish Grand Prix. Last year, it actually was pretty good. Maybe with the cars following a little better, the final chicane gone. Maybe the Spanish Grand Prix is a banger this year, and, and I'm wrong. But as of now, one race last year is not going to change my mind about, about Barcelona. So as for now, it is just mid. Montreal, another one that I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time on. It's my home race. No matter what, I'm going to love it. I think fans of the sport also do like uh the canadian grand prix it's a pretty good circuit high speeds with chicanes it has some good racing moments um is it one of the best circuits i don't think so i think some people actually overrate it a little bit but we've had some great races in montreal um people love the fans and it's a it's a cool track so yeah it's my home race i'm always gonna love it i want to get there someday please Please, please, somebody uh, hook me up somehow. I don't know even why I'm asking for that because it's not going to happen. But yeah, my home race. Really no other way uh, to say it. Now, Red Bull Ring, of course, that's Austria. Um, I went with small but mighty. It's definitely one of the shortest tracks on the calendar, especially in terms of lap time. But I really like Austria. I think it it just it has great racing. The three DRS straights. It's probably the one of the only ones on the calendar that kind of the overuse of DRS actually kind of makes it fun. Um, that third DRS straight, just being able to follow and follow and just make it uh, an aggressive move into what even turn would that be? I don't even know. Turn four, turn five. I don't know. The one down the hill, kind of where uh, Carlos Sainz, his, his Ferrari went up in flames last year. And Leclerc had a really nice move on Max. Like, it just, it's an exciting track. Um, is it one of my favorites? No, because there's two tracks that definitely stick out as, as the best, in my opinion. But Austria is fun, and I think it definitely belongs on the calendar. Small but mighty. Now, one of the favorites has to be Silverstone, of course. And I went with nothing but bangers. Pretty self-explanatory. It is just a fantastic track. It's got some exhilarating sections, and it always, always produces great racing. So what else can you say? Just nothing but great races at this track. So I think I've uh, properly summed it up in three words. Now, Hungary is an interesting one because somehow it always delivers. That's, That's what my three words are. Somehow always delivers. Because on paper, this track should be garbage. Yet we've had so many good races here. And even last year, where at times it wasn't great, it just somehow, you know, George Russell's on pole, Max Verstappen from P10, 
and we had just some some drama throughout that race yet it should be terrible like it's just you you can't overtake anywhere but the main straight basically yet we have a double overtake from from daniel ricardo after the second drs straight like it's just hungary is 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 wild to me it continuously blows me away with just how good the races end up being there so maybe it does deserve some credit but if you just look at the track layout it shouldn't be good yet it is uh spa pure racetrack I'm not saying it's one of one of the best in the calendar. I think people just look at it and see how fun it is to drive and immediately say it's one of the best. But races there aren't always that great. So it's hard for me to put it up there with, with the Silverstones and the and the Interlagoses. But at the end of the day, it is exactly how I've described it. It's a pure racetrack. And I really hope that it doesn't lose its spot on the calendar for that reason because it has its own uniqueness as well. So I think that's where I'll leave that. Um, now, Netherlands, only for Max. I don't know what else to say. I don't love Zanvoort. Now, the banking corners is probably the only thing that makes this track cool. If it didn't have the, uh, because it's not just the banking onto the main straight. The banking in the first sector is also really cool. Just how you can take the different lines there. The drivers absolutely love that. And it is a challenging circuit in a way. And it's got the twisty sections and it's old school, kind of like Imola, if you like a traditional circuit. Um, but if it weren't for Max Verstappen, I really don't think this would be on the calendar. So that's why I have, I have gone with those three words. Um, the Monza, uh, Italian Grand Prix, Monza, its nickname already does the job for me course this is ha this has to be the temple of speed so not going to waste time i'm going to go straight into singapore and i've called this one the temple of money because <laughs> i don't know why else it would be on the calendar yeah it's a different challenge for the drivers it's the most physical race of the season in terms of the heat that they go through and just all the corners and it is a mental battle not as much as monaco but to an to a certain extent it's uh it's up there so yeah, I, I I can't be hypocritical and say that it's it's worthless on the F1 calendar, but I'm thinking this has to be a big money race for for uh, for F1. So I've gone with Temple of Money. Maybe I'm off base there, but I just thought it was funny. So uh, I'll move on to Japan. I call this one Spa in Asia. They are completely different circuits, but I think they're both loved for the same reason. Um, maybe. Uh, uh, Suzuka has the the fan element where people absolutely love the Japanese fans and they actually do seem like arguably some of the best fans in F1. Um, so Suzuka deserves credit for that instead of just saying it's pure racetrack. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. And that's why I've gone with Spa in Asia because I think Spa gets all the fame for being like the most pure racetrack of all the circuits. Um, and Suzuka definitely deserves some love there too. It has had some absolutely iconic moments. The, the moments with Senna and Prost, um, the, the classic Raikkonen overtake, uh, Alonso's had an absolutely beauty into 130R, I, I believe. I, I hope I'm not wrong with that, but Suzuka's brilliant. So there you go. Qatar, someone please explain why, why is this? I, I didn't mind Qatar in 2021. But, like, come on. Why is this on the calendar? 
uh, Coda. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, what else I'm supposed to say about Qatar. So going straight to Coda, of course, in Austin, North America's best. And that includes Mexico. Um, yeah, I talked up Canada for being my home race, but Coda is clear. I'm sorry. I absolutely love Coda. Um, and we haven't seen Las Vegas, but I don't have high hopes for it beating Coda, which is again, kind of like a traditional circuit. It's one of my favorite to race on in a simulator. Coda is just a ton of fun. It has great racing. It's produced some fantastic races. Um, and to me, it's, it's pretty obvious. Uh, I know some people do really like, uh, circuit Villeneuve and would maybe take it over Coda, but I'd have to disagree with you. Coda clears. Now, Mexico, this one's hard to talk about. I've just gone with underwhelming at times because it's a fun weekend, you know, and I love Checo uh, at his home race. It's probably one of the most fun home race for a driver weekends of the entire year, just because, you know, like there's, of course, Max in, in Netherlands and the fans go absolutely insane. Uh, Charles and Monaco is, is everyone I feel like is rooting for him there. Um, but in terms of just how fired up the fans are to see Checo do well, regardless of whether it's a win or a podium or just race on the track, like they're just so proud of him. So it, it's a fun weekend for that. But in terms of the racing, I don't know if I've liked a single Mexican Grand Prix. I know that's harsh. Um, they just, they just never seem to provide much for me. Um, so now Brazil should end season. I know you all agree with me. We can we can all say it together. You probably could have predicted that one unless you thought that I was going to go with something else, just saying that like best track ever or something because uh, Interlagos is spectacular and it's had some great moments. But guess why? Guess why they've had great moments? Because it usually is the finale and it should be. It absolutely sucks that it's not. And I will get in to, you know, the other side of that uh, debate in a moment, because we will talk about Abu Dhabi after Las Vegas, which I'm calling the new Monaco. Of course, these tracks are completely different, where Las Vegas has like no corners and all straights. But in terms of the glitz and the glamour, and, you know, the fact that Monaco is not untouchable anymore, maybe this does become, you know, the new prestigious race of It'll never have that, you know, moniker of being like the pearl of motorsport or whatever they call it. Um, Las Vegas will never have that, but it could kind of fit the same role as Monaco. So I've gone with that. I might be a little bit off base and maybe I should have came up with something a little different for that one. I don't know. I'm not super confident, but I think most of you know what I'm saying when I call it the new Monaco. I, I was also thinking of something also with give it time because people already are calling it a trash circuit and we haven't even seen a race there but i felt it was more suitable for miami since we've actually raced there so las vegas if you're calling it trash already you're just crazy give it a race come on now abu dhabi and this one i i really wanted to be more creative um but i thought just because of what my stance is when it comes to this race, I had to just say it. Absolute bum cheeks. I hate Abu Dhabi. The fact that it's the finale, it's just a garbage circuit. It's clearly all about the money. And 
yeah, the changes they've made is they're they're better. They're definitely better, but that doesn't mean that the circuit is good. And it is just absolutely penciled in as the finale every single season. And I hate it. It sucks. Just absolutely been this Grand Prix. I would be so happy. We can end with Las Vegas. I don't even care. Do you imagine a Las Vegas finale? And it's just like, it ends up being like just an absolute trash circuit. But like, at least it's in Las Vegas, man. Like seeing the team celebrate at the end of the season in Las Vegas would be awesome. I'm sure they would love that. Um, Abu Dhabi just blows, man. Just, I, I, I really do hate it. The racing has improved. Like I said, the changes are better, but that still doesn't make it a good track. It is mid at best. I don't know how anyone could say that they love this, this circuit. And the fact that it's the finale just disgusts me. So yeah, absolute bum cheeks, Abu Dhabi. Um, so yeah, that's the three word game that took a while. Um, but I hope you guys had fun along the way and agreed with some of my takes. Um, and I plan on bringing this segment back when, uh, when it's time. So yeah, that is, uh, actually going to do it for, for this episode. Uh, the Jeff Gordon episode of break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 47 next week to review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I love you, Oma. Goodbye.